Your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. At 8.18 then, South Korea with the fastest growing senior population according to the US Census Bureau, which forecast by 2050, uh, this country will be second behind Japan with uh, the ratio of those aged 65 and older at 35.9% compared with Japan's forecast of 40.1%, growing just a little less rapidly than South Korea. Japan is one of the few countries that can say that it's uh, ahead of South Korea in this respect. Philip O'Keefe is a lead economist for Social Protection and uh, Labour EAP region of World Bank to talk about this whole phenomenon and the warning signals that we've been hearing about for some time here in Seoul and beyond, frankly, with uh, the world wondering what this will mean for the Korean economy and so on going forward. Good morning to you from Seoul. Good morning, Alex. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, just how rapid, in economic terms, is this uh, ageing over here? Well, a as you said, uh, Korea to date is probably the most rapidly ageing country in the world. There, there are some in the region, Thailand and Vietnam, are two that compare. It's about 14% now uh, who are over the age 65 and over, and that's just under 7 million. And as you said, that will increase very rapidly. By 2040, that will be 16 million people. If you compare that to Japan, it's significantly slower than Japan aged um, at a similar stage of development, and even slower than China, in fact, despite its one-child policy. Um, in economic terms, I think there are real risks of this. The first very obvious one is that the size of the labour force declines in that time. Mm. So between now and 2040, you lose about 7 million working age people. And, I mean, just in terms of a comparison with Japan directly, is there anything from the Japanese model that, that we can learn what to do, what not to do? I think there are, there are a number of things... Uh, both both sides of the equation. Uh, the first is that you need to take you know fairly comprehensive policy action across a range of things, and that ranges from uh, fertility policy, female labour force participation, dealing with elderly workers and trying to keep them keep them in the workforce and, and keep them productive. Um, on and I think probably one thing to learn from Japan is you have to start that early. Uh, well before you know the, the rapid aging uh, is in in full flight, if you if you're going to have an effect on that. The other thing, which is is more on the challenging side, is that if you look at Japan, clearly the the fiscal pressures of uh, pension systems, health systems, long term care systems uh, become you know really really pressing, and and one needs to prepare for that. Do you sense that some of these solutions will come too late for, for South Korea? What sort of timeline do you think we have to get these things right? It's an interesting question. I, I think firstly on the, the basic question of fertility, um, certainly the country now has, has turned its attention to that and I know there's a lot of concern there about that. However, that, that came relatively late in the demographic transition. So I think it was only around 2006 that you had the first 
pro-natalist policy. Mm. Um, so that, that was relatively late in the day. Um, in, in other areas, I think, yeah, certainly action or policy action is being taken. Things like the female labour force participation and the like, almost certainly more will be needed um, in areas like childcare, tax and transfer policy. But some of it is stuff that, that and, and Japan faces similar challenges that government alone can't change. And these relate to broader issues like uh, gender equality, the role of women in work and family compared to men and things like that. The countries that have, have successfully addressed things like fertility or female labour force participation, I think of particularly the Nordic countries or France and Europe, um, it's been not only specific policies to, to get women to work or, or, or things like that, but much wider policies and, and social attitudes of gender equality. Indeed. Well, social attitudes as well, perhaps towards migrant workers. Uh, Europe is, is ahead of the game there too. That is an, that is another big one. And, and certainly this is somewhere where I, I think Korea can learn perhaps not as positive a lesson from Japan. Um, both countries have, as you know, have very low um, immigration. And really in an ageing society, that, that just kind of ties one hand behind your back. If you contrast uh, Singapore in the region or Hong Kong, you know, have amongst the highest uh, you know, foreign-born populations in the world, and that's one of the sources of their economic vibrancy. Similarly, my own country, Australia, New Zealand, um, very high immigration rates. Now, you can't go from where Korea or Japan are now to those kind of levels um, overnight, but clearly that that has to be an option that's increasingly on the table, especially in a region where you're surrounded by a lot of youngish countries as well, you know, the, in Southeast Asia and, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, it may be unlikely right now, the way societal attitudes are set up, but it is the most practical solution, isn't it? If you're trying to um, bring in a workforce uh, of, of a certain age by a certain period of time, and if people are not having the babies here, well... You have to look outside of your borders, don't you? You probably do. And I, look, I agree. I, nobody would say that immigration policy is easy anywhere in the world. You see it in Europe at the moment. You see it, you know, it look at the US presidential election campaign. Um, yeah, it's, it's not an easy issue politically, culturally. It can be very challenging, especially in countries that have had historically low rates. So, you know, one can't change this dramatically overnight, but gradually. And I, I think, again, if, if you look at Japan at the moment, one of Abe's policies is to try and, um, in selected areas, either geographically or in certain sectors, such as the care sector, to, to, to make much stronger efforts to get migration. They've tried in the past and haven't been terribly successful, but they're trying again, and we'll, we'll see if there are any lessons from that. And I, I know Korea is, is certainly interested in exploring this more, but obviously you have to dip your toe in the water gradually from a, from a political and social point of view. Indeed. Another issue here is the problems facing young people today in Korea, young people right now, those graduating from university. By 2050, of course, they will have moved on. But they are struggling now to find jobs, yet they will be part of a shrinking workforce. There's a, there's a paradox almost there, isn't there? It does, 
seem ironic just that, that uh, they should be the most valuable commodity and, and, and they may be, may be struggling to find jobs. Um, I guess there's two things. I, across the region, there's a lot of concern about particularly graduate employment. Some of that is real when you look at the numbers and some of it is people waiting for the right job. Now, I, I don't know to what extent you know, the balance is in Korea. Um, but certainly one would expect over time that, you know, especially with their higher education and, you know, human capital, that they would be, you know, more desirable in the labour market. One of the big challenges, not only in Korea, but in other countries, is as they do hopefully get into the workforce, what happens with tax taxes on labour, given you're going to have to start paying more for, you know, services and, and benefits for older people, and that certainly would be, you know, I think I know it's something that young people in Japan complain about and uh, at the moment Korea has relatively low labour tax but that's, that's certainly a risk for the future for them as well. Uh, finally, you talked a bit before about certain countries getting it right with the birth rate but and, and maybe South Korea leaving it too late but it just seems like culturally we've moved on now. Pe people just have far less interest in having children in the developed world generally. I think that's very true. Look, there is there are no countries that once they get down, you know, kind of notably below replacement rate, which is 2.1, that have had dramatic bounce backs. There's a, a couple, I mentioned Norway and France, um, that have had modest increases once they've gone down, you know, in the one point somethings, um, but only modest increases. Most, at best, the, you know, the, the more successful ones, USA, Australia and others, manage to keep the birth rate stable. And immigration also plays a role there. So, exactly. Yeah, I agree with you. I, if you look around the developed world, it's, it, once it gets as low as Korea, you can maybe, as Japan has done, bring it up a little bit, but it, it, you can't expect ever to get back to replacement. A, a tweak, perhaps. Philip O'Keefe, thank you so much for joining us. Philip O'Keefe there with a slight delay on the line from the World Bank. We'll continue this morning in just a moment.